0: The gentleman that's on the screen, his name is Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner was the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox in that particular series. And what's interesting is Bill Buckner played in the major leagues for 21 years, played 2,517 games, had a 289 lifetime batting average, had a 992 fielding average at first base. Think about that, eight one-thousandths off of a perfect fielding average, yet... He missed a routine ground ball that would, have ended the game, that would have sent them into extra innings, as a matter of fact. It wouldn't have ended the game, but it would have sent them into extra innings. But as a result, he missed it. The Mets went on to win the 1986 World Series, and Bill Buckner was absolutely vilified in the city of Boston for years. Now, the curse is gone over the Boston Red Sox. They've won multiple world championships, and Bill Buckner is now okay. Okay. But why do I bring that up? Because, interestingly enough, a website titled Historic Baseball says this about Bill Buckner. You ready? Career overshadowed by miscue in 1986 World Series. You see, what has happened is that over the decades of time, Bill Buckner has been identified as the guy who missed the ball. He's been identified as the guy who committed an error. He's been identified as the guy who ruined Boston's chances at a world championship. He's identified that way. Well, there's another guy that we're going to talk about today in Scripture who's identified as a doubter. In fact, that's how we're going to remember him, Thomas or doubting Thomas. So in our series of messages, Aftermath, we're talking about the aftermath of the resurrection. In other words, what are some of these after effects? What are are some things that happened post-resurrection? And Thomas's story is a unique story, it's a great story, and it is, is something that I think we should all consider. I think in reality, doubting is a normal part of our faith journey, and we need to look at this in a way that I believe, we can look at this in a way that I believe can be very helpful to each one of us. And as an aftermath of the resurrection, doubting is part of it, and how Thomas dealt with that in his in his encounter with Jesus, we're going to talk about that this morning for John chapter 20, verse beginning at verse number 24. It is in your program for you. It's also on the screens. Take a look at it with me. Now, Thomas, Call, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see all the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." and yet believed. It's a, good, it's a wonderful story, and one that I think for most of us is quite familiar, especially how Thomas is characterized as doubting Thomas. Well, who was Thomas? He was one of the original 12 disciples. We learn that in Matthew chapter 10 and other you know, parallel passages. He was one of the original 12. He was all, most likely a fisherman, and from Galilee. We see him fishing with the rest of the disciples after the resurrection at the Sea of Galilee. So we take from that most likely that was his profession. I think something is very fascinating to me. You notice even in the text this morning it said Thomas who was also known as Didymus, okay? He has an aka connected to him. Not only is he also known as Didymus, what does that mean? Didymus means twin. Now a couple of op- a couple of op- a couple of options here. One, he could have had a twin sister or twin brother. Now we have no indication in, in the New Testament anywhere, no one is identified as his twin brother or sister. It could have been as well. This is just purely speculation. It could have been, because he is. it's titled, also known as, it could have been that he looked like somebody and it became a nickname, that they just called him the twin. That could very well have happened. Now, now, again, that's speculative, but it's a possibility. Thomas had his doubts. There's no question. You can see that in the text. But one thing that is true about Thomas, although he, was, he had doubts, he was not a coward. In fact, if you go to the story of Jesus and the disciples going to the, the town of Bethany, where Jesus would eventually raise Lazarus from the dead, in that encounter, Thomas says this to Jesus in John 11 and verse 16, or says this to the disciples, rather. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, there may be a bit of a bravado here. There may be just this, you know, I'm I'm being bold in this. But on the other side of this, there's something to be considered. There was some pushback against Jesus in Bethany. There was some potential for all kinds of of bad things happening. And Thomas knew that. He was part of this traveling band. He he understood this. And he said, let's go with him. We're going to die. Now, what's interesting, too, is that Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 When he had called the first disciples, he went on to say to them, and this is really important to hear this, Matthew 10, 38, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What's he saying? He says there's a price to following me. What we can see from that encounter of them moving to Bethany, Thomas was willing to pay the price. So he wasn't a coward. He may have had doubts, but he wasn't a coward. And then, along with the other disciples, Thomas expressed a lack of faith or really a lack of understanding in the mission that Jesus was here to accomplish. All of the disciples didn't really get it. So in John chapter 14, what we find is Jesus says this. Look, don't, be, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you, if you believe in God, believe in me. And I'm going to go to a place and prepare it for you so that you can come. and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be there. And then Thomas asked this question. He asked Jesus, how how can we know the way? How can we know the way? And what was Jesus' answer? It was the greatest answer of all answers. In John chapter 14 and verse number 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that is an answer. But Thomas is the one that prompted that answer. So what do you learn from this? You learn that Thomas is very much a part of all that was happening as the disciples and as Jesus traveled through all of those three and a half years of ministry. Well, you fast forward through Thomas' life after the resurrection, after the outpouring at Pentecost, what happened to Thomas? He was martyred probably somewhere in the the mid-50s, somewhere in that area, probably 55, 56 A.D. in the first century. But he took the good news of Jesus away from, the, from, from Jerusalem, as the others did. He went to Persia, and then eventually found his way into India. He became a missionary in India. In fact, there's a lot of historical data. You can look it up and find where Thomas traveled. And the church, what's so cool, I'm, so, I'm blessed. I just thought of this. I'm blessed. I had the opportunity of being in India a few years ago. And there is a thriving church in India today. One of the reasons there's a thriving church in India is because of how Thomas was described. Thomas was described as a fearless evangelist and a builder of churches. That's Thomas's legacy. And isn't it interesting that if you read the New Testament, you're going to find out something about Thomas? Three different times, Thomas is called Didymus. One time, he's referred to as having doubts. And what is it that has stuck? He's been a doubter for centuries. Now, I'm not suggesting that's unfair. I think maybe it is a little unfair because I believe there's more to his life than that. But what it says, it says that doubts are real. And often we may look at a doubt and say, you know something, I'm just not so sure I should doubt. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of violating my faith if I have doubts. I, I'm not, I don't know, maybe it's even sinful if I doubt and I can understand I can understand that. And there's a phrase, and, or a couple of phrases you might have used. Here's, a, here's one. I have my doubts. Or, I doubt it. And if you've ever said that, we're, all, we're kind of all on common ground, aren't we? Doubts are probably a very normal part of our life. So here's a phrase that we're going to kind of walk, just want you to keep in the back of your mind. Doubt, doubt is the gap. Between our current faith and perfect faith. Doubt, that is so critical. Hold on to this. Doubt is the gap between our current faith and, our, and perfect faith. If true, then we all doubt. We all doubt. And I, I, I think it's important for you to hear from me. I have my doubts. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. You're like a pastor, dude. How can you have doubts? I've had doubts about my faith. I've had doubts about the existence of God. I've had doubts about my salvation. I've had, do I need to go on? Why do I say that? Because we all have doubts. Now, those have been dispelled over time for a a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways. But I just want you to know, I have my doubts. I don't believe I am less of a follower of Christ because I've had doubts. I think I am a normal follower of Christ because I have my doubts. But it's the gap. It's the gap between our current faith and our perfect faith. And the experience of Thomas in the aftermath of the resurrection, he deals with this. Jesus helps him navigate this. And we're going to talk about some things today that I think will be really helpful if, if you have doubts. Because you might be here today and say, you know, I doubt Scripture. I just do. I doubt it. I I doubt if God loves me. I doubt if I'm actually saved. H- has God really forgiven me? I- I'm, just, I'm just not sure. I have my doubts. I-, I have my doubts about everything. I get it. I get it. Can I just tell you? You're not alone. You're not alone. You're in good company this morning. Because if we had the opportunity to go around the room... There's probably not a person under the sound of my voice who hasn't had doubts. So let's talk about it this morning from this encounter with Jesus. And I want to give you a few observations. But before I do that, I just want you to keep in mind Proverbs 23, verse number 18. It's really the theme verse for this series. It's from the Living Bible. You have a wonderful future ahead of you. There is hope for you yet. That's what I believe to be true in each of our lives no matter what we may be facing so observation. The first observation, and I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave this up the whole time I, I, I chat until we get to a verse because I want this 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 statement to really sink deep. And even before it comes up, I want to just say something. I want. To, I just want to, through this. I want to just share my heart with you. And I have. I've wrestled with this this week. I've prayed through this because I want you to hear my heart because it is such. It's something that weighs upon me. And it weighs upon me because I care for you. And I care for the church. Here's the first observation. When we doubt, when we doubt, not if, when we doubt, absence from the community of faith increases our doubts. And we miss great things. I'm going to say it one more time. When we doubt, absence from the community of faith increases our doubts and we miss great things. I could have phrased it this way. Increases the gap of faith. Same thing. It increases our doubts. You see, go back to the first to that first Sunday. Jesus has come to life and where does he he comes to his disciples who are behind locked doors for fear. And who's not there? Thomas is not there. Can I tell you something? That was a pretty amazing moment, and Thomas missed it. I don't know why he wasn't there. We are not given the reason he's absent. He could have been frustrated. He could have been. See, I'm, I'm done. He could have been dealing with all kinds of. Things. Who knows what he was dealing with? But regardless of that, he wasn't there, and he missed Jesus. Think about it. He had absent himself from the community of faith that he had hung out with for three and a half years. And the most important night of all, he's gone. And he misses Jesus. And I believe that the gap of faith increased. It didn't diminish. It increased. Whatever he was dealing with, I think, just expanded. It became exponential at that point. I don't know if you recognize or will remember this phrase or this event, Operation Baby Lift. Operation Baby Lift took place between April 3rd and April 26, 1975. The Vietnam War was winding down, and there were massive amounts of children that were airlifted out of Vietnam to the United States and to other countries. One of the locations for Operation Baby Lift Baby was San Francisco, the Presidio. And our, I was a sophomore in college at the time. And we, as a college, sent tons of students from the college to San Francisco to just hang out with these precious little babies and children who, were being, who had been displaced from their homeland and now would be adopted all around the country. And I'm proud to say, that my wife, Marcy, was one of those students who went and hung out with these kids. She was up there for three nights. She hung out with a little guy by the name of Dwan. Now I want to tell you something, Dwan's almost 50 years old today. That just tells you, I don't know how it all works when Marcy and I are only 30. I don't know how that all works, but miracles happen, you know, miracles happen. And, I, and I, I'm so proud of her. But you know something else? I didn't go. And I missed out on an opportunity because I was absent. You know why? I don't know why. I was a 19-year-old sophomore in college. Say no more. That's what I was. Who knows what my attitude was. It could have been that I thought I could have nothing to give to those kids. I I really can't relate with them. I don't want to go. I'd rather do that. I don't know why I didn't go. But I know this. I missed an opportunity. Now, more importantly, I believe what happens What what happened there, as as important as it was, and and as a historical moment as it was, I believe that every time we gather together in environments like this, history is ready to be made. Why? Because the presence of Jesus Christ is in this room. And there are things that happen when the community of faith gathers together that happen at no other place or time. You say, Gary, it sounds a little old school. okay. I don't have my Converse on today, but it's old school's okay. I believe in the value of this place. I believe in the value of these moments together. That doesn't diminish the fact that we travel and we do things. That's not my point. But as I was praying about this and working my way through this, what I wanted to communicate is to all of us, and really to me, let us determine in our hearts to gather together As often as we can. Why? Because it's extraordinarily valuable. And I'll just say this. When we absence ourselves from the community of faith, faith, the gap can grow and we can miss great things. I was reading this week from a writer I read all the time. His name is Kerry Newhoff. And Kerry was addressing this fact. And I'm just going to share a couple of his insights. Three of them, as a matter of fact. The first one is this. and It's kind of the reasoning behind why often we're finding, and statistics are saying this all around the country. This isn't just, it isn't just Crossroads Church. It's not just Temecula. It's not just California. This is everywhere in the United States. Church attendance, regular attendance continues to diminish over time. Approximately, it is 40% of the time, maybe, It's probably a little less than that. 30% of the time, people are just finding themselves in worship. Okay, for whatever reason, but I want you to just hear a couple of observations. The first one is this, or a couple of insights. First is this. Spirituality, Spirituality is increasingly seen as an individual pursuit and not a community activity. In other words, we do spiritual life on our own. I can do this. I'll do it on my own. I can do it here. I can do it there. I can do it here. However, my desire to do my own thing on my schedule isn't solitude. It's isolation. Hear this. And while solitude is a gift from God, isolation is a tool of the enemy. And there's no faster way To render a community ineffective than to isolate its members. Let that sink. It's challenging to me. It's challenging to me. Second insight says, I wonder if the mere act of attending church is becoming a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice. When we talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practice, we talk about like studying God 's Word, memorizing and meditating and fasting and praying. Those are spiritual practices, and it 's almost as if we 're in a series of time that the spiritual practice is just attendance. Now understand this: devoting yourself public publicly to God, devoting ourselves publicly to God. Into a wider community is a countercultural activity. Just like we spend time in prayer, that is countercultural. We spend time in God's Word, that's countercultural. Just as showing up on a weekend service is countercultural. Could that be? And then finally, finally, just attending and showing up just contributes to our spiritual growth. Rarely, and hear this carefully, rarely does decreased attendance and participation. Produce increased devotion. Doesn't happen. It's as if we would say, if I do less of this, then I'm going to get better at that. What? How does that work? Now, I've been, over the last six, seven weeks, I've really been engaging with exercise. And I'm going to tell you, I feel it every time I get up and every time I move. You know what I've realized? is the more you try to get in shape, the more sore that you actually are. So to be in shape is always being sore. That's kind of where I'm at. But I want to tell you something. I feel better. I'm dropping a few pounds here and there, thank goodness. And don't anybody say amen. Okay, no words there. I have more energy. I can go on and on and on. It is not because I'm doing less that I'm finding results. It's because I'm doing more that the results are following. And I would suggest the same to be true in our spiritual lives. Once again, when we doubt, absence from the community of faith increases our doubts. And we miss great opportunities. Remember this great verse. Let us think of ways in Hebrews chapter 10 to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. and Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's gather together in a community of faith. Second observation, and this is a little different in your notes. Uh, I I changed some of the wording for for this morning, so you'll. I need you to cross out the word narrowing, and I want you to excuse me. Cross out the word closing, and add the word narrowing. When we doubt, self discovery will assist us in narrowing the gap of faith. Narrowing the gap of faith. And what do I mean by self discovery? Well, here's what happens with Thomas. Just look at what Thomas did. Thomas, he goes, he shows up, he shows up, and the, and the disciples, the other ten guys say, Thomas, this is what has happened. And he goes, wait a minute. What you say is good, but I want to see for myself. That's self-discovery. Self-discovery. I had a couple classes I had to take to graduate when I was in college. And I was not a science guy. That was not my deal. But I had to have a science credit to graduate. So I found, a science cr- I found a science class. And really, the reason, how I just chose the science class was what is the least that I can possibly get by with to graduate. That's how I chose it. What would be the least demanding on me? So I found a science class and I thought, now that sounds kind of like fun. And the science class was a discovery approach to science. And I went. All right, that'll work for me. What we did, and it was a blast. All we did was experiment after experiment to prove a point. I I could hang with it. Why? I was self-discovering something. And I believe the same is true for us in faith. When we have doubts, Thomas, what Thomas did, Thomas pushed through his doubts. He kept pressing forward. He was moving, he was on a pathway of self discovering Discovery. And I love what Roger Frederickson, the pastor I read. He he said, I am profoundly grateful to Thomas who saw his doubts through to the end. It is one thing to doubt and to be lazy about it and to just sit there, but rather I'm gonna press through this and I'm gonna learn by self discovery. And how do we do that? Two ways. Number one, study diligently. Study the the word of God diligently. If you follow through in, in John chapter 20, verse number 31. Chapters excuse me chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 are the key verses to the gospel of John. Verse 31 says this, but these are written, speaking of everything has been written in the Gospel of John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Study diligently. Learn what is here, what is available to us. Let the self-discovery happen. Some of us in this room are on a journey of faith, and I applaud you on a journey of faith. Keep journeying. Keep pushing forward. Keep studying diligently. Keep learning. Keep asking questions. Doubts are okay. Keep asking the questions, but discover. Let God do something in your life. He will. I love what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Study diligently. And the second way that we can self-discover is through pray continually. You see, our study should prompt us to pray. It causes us to go to God and say, God, what about this? Help me understand this. Give me wisdom. The scripture says in James chapter 1 that if we lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. Ask him. Our study should prompt our praying. Daniel chapter 9, I love how this is characterized. I, Daniel, learn from the reading of the word of the Lord. As revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Look at this. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. And fasting. You see, Daniel was reading. He saw it prompted him to pray. As you read God's word, accompany it with prayer, ask God and he will give you wisdom. Mark chapter 9, verse 24 says, No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, Then I believe, help me with my doubts. Have self discovery. Just say, God, help me with my doubts. I've got them. Help me. Help me be on this pathway of self discovery. The third observation. And again, I changed this point as well uh, for publication. So when we doubt, relationships are a vital link, shrinking the gap of faith and overcoming our doubts. One more time. When we doubt, relationships are a vital link to shrinking the gap of faith. And it helps us overcome our doubts. You know, a week has passed. Okay, so the first Sunday night, Thomas isn't there. Jesus shows up. He misses it. But a week later, he's with, he's with the other ten. And what is really interesting to me, uh, he, he is here, and now this week has passed, and somehow, somehow, the other ten have convinced him to hang out with them. Stay here. I don't know what they're saying, don't know what they're doing. But those relationships are so strong, they have been able to bring Thomas back in and hold him in place, as it were. When he was first there, I've got to see it for myself. They did something in relationship to keep him close. Chapter 17 of Proverbs and verse 17 it says, A friend loves you at all times. A friend loves you at all times. But a brother was born to help in times of trouble. You know something? I'm so grateful for friends when we walk through some very difficult times. And I'll tell you, I'm probably going to tell you this story in its entirety this coming summer. We walked through some very difficult times, and the one thing we wanted to do, and and I've even said this, what we wanted to do was isolate, and what did that do? It created a gap wider and wider and wider, but it was friends who kept, kept us in a place where that gap was shrinking. It kept getting narrower and narrower so that we could return to a place of perfect faith, And I say say perfect, not in the sense of perfection, but rather in completeness. It's important to understand this. Relationships are so critically important. And whatever these ten did, they were able to embrace Thomas in the middle of his challenges and of his doubts and of his questions and all of the stuff that was going on. They said, keep hanging out with us. And can I just say, you have doubts, keep hanging out. Keep showing up. Relationships are so important. So I'm just gonna say, is there someone you know, someone you know right now who could use a friend? Someone you know that you need to get on the phone and say, Hey, are you okay? I've missed you. Where have you been? What's going on? Not in a way to make them feel guilty, but in a way to embrace them and to say, I care about. You. Don't minimize the power of your friendship in the life of someone else to bring them out of a place where that gap of faith continues to expand. Because isolation will expand that gap. It won't narrow it. It's not going to increase their devotion to God. It's going to decrease. Could God use you? I would suggest He can and He will. I love Jude. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. You see, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be in a place, and I think I have to be honest with this, I've probably been guilty of this. i probably looked at the story of Thomas and went, oh, man, this guy, how in the world could he do that? I wouldn't be so quick to get there because probably you and I have been in the same place. For those who doubt, we need to be merciful to them and embrace them. Thomas Aquinas, he wrote, he said, there is nothing on this earth more to be prized than true friendship. How true. Another observation from the story of Thomas, when we doubt, the assurance that Jesus knows all things further narrows the gap of faith. See, what do you, what do you mean by this, Gary? What? All right, so go back, to this, go back to the scene for a moment. Jesus comes into this place, locked doors, and all 11 of them are there. Thomas is there. And Jesus says, peace, peace be with you. Or he gives them the shalom moment. And, they, and Thomas is there, and he turns to Thomas, and he said, hey, Thomas, come here. And this is and not in there, but you'll get my point. Thomas, come here. See my hands? See my side? It's interesting. How did he know that? Because he knows all things. He knows exactly where you and I may have our doubts, our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our troubles. He gets it. He knows. And I'm telling you, that gives me extraordinary assurance. That God knows exactly where I'm at. He knows what's going on. He doesn't judge me. He knows where I'm at. And just as something he did not judge. He did not judge Thomas. I love I love that. Remember Jeremiah seventeen says, I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind. Hebrews four says, For all for and nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. First John three twenty, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and knows everything. Hallelujah. I'm grateful that God knows what's going on. That gives me assurance. There is nothing, and hear this very carefully, there is nothing more encouraging than to know that Jesus sees, knows, and hears everything. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, he does? Really? But, really? Yeah. Be encouraged by that. Don't be discouraged by that. There is no greater assurance and no greater encouragement that God knows what's going on in my life. I'm grateful for that. And then the final observation this morning is when we doubt, a declaration of faith closes the gap of faith. Now notice there are some things that that cause that gap to widen. Absence is one of them. It, It widens our gap. But then there are things that begin to narrow it and shrink it. But what eventually closes it for Thomas is a declaration of faith. And what I love, there are a couple of things in this scene that just I love. The first is this, is that Jesus didn't scold Thomas for his doubts. And I think often I may scold myself and I might scold others. But in reality, Jesus doesn't scold Thomas for his doubts. He just points it out. And here's what he says. You say, but wait a minute. This language is pretty strong. He says, stop doubting and believe. That sounds like scolding to me. But when you go back to the original language of the New Testament, how is it written in Greek? Here's how it's written in Greek. Don't become unbelieving, but believing. You notice the difference? Don't become unbelieving. In other words, don't let this gap continue to widen, Thomas, by the path that you're on. But come back into a place of belief. Jesus, throughout the entire Gospel of John, all he's been doing is miracle after miracle, encounter after encounter. Why? So that they would believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He says, don't don't become unbelieving, but believing. I love it. Embrace me. Embrace a full and complete faith. And out of that, what does Thomas do? He makes the most profound declaration found in Scripture. My Lord and my God. There is no indication whatsoever that he put his finger, the Thomas' finger, into Jesus' hands. There's no indication whatsoever that he took his side. He just said, my Lord and my God. There's no indication that he fell at his feet. He just declared it. And the gap of faith closed shut. And what does that say to us? It says that the same is available for us. We make a declaration of faith, things that are unseen. That's what faith is. It's a certainty of those things that are not tangible that we cannot grab onto. It's just important to know it is highly unlikely that we're going to have an encounter with Jesus like Thomas did. This side of eternity. You get that? Do we get that? There are a privileged few that had the opportunity. But that leads us to the second part of this. And just, just so you know, I want to read this. From the lips of the most outrageous doubter of the resurrection, he utters the greatest confession of the Lord who rose from the dead. The greatest doubter utters the greatest confession. And then the second thing, I love it. Jesus blesses those. Who do not see. John chapter 20 verse 29. Because you have seen me you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Who is that addressing? We are looking at him right here. Jesus pronounces a very special blessing on us. But how do we get there? We get there by a declaration of faith. You see we do not live by sight. We live by Faith. And we live by faith in the Son of God. And what gets us there is a declaration. And it's a declaration of faith. Look at this. Faith seeing in this age results in more joy than I seeing. Faith seeing in this age results in more joy than I seeing. I love that. And strange as it may sound, certainty, and I hear this carefully, because the definition of doubts is an uncertainty. So just flip it around. Certainty comes only as we take a leap of faith. It doesn't make sense. It's, counter, it's counterintuitive. How does that work? Because it's by faith. What did Jesus say, or what did John say, rather, in John 20, and Verse 31. That you would have faith in the Son of God by what is here. That's to us. It's not until we jump <laughs> that we really know the reality of the risen Lord. It's not until we take that leap. Now, I love, I love good food. And it's, it's about lunchtime. And you all are thinking, oh, why do you bring up food? Because now my stomach's growling even more. I love good food. But you know something? There's something about just looking at good food that doesn't work. I got to taste it. I got to get into it. I tell you, we had something for dinner last week. It was just awesome. And looking at it was wonderful, but tasting it was so much better. Psalm 34 Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's by faith. To close the gap, to close the gap between our current faith. And perfect or complete faith. It requires a leap of faith. It is a declaration. That's what closes it. Other things narrow it. Relationships narrow it. Self-discovery, it narrows and shrinks it. But it's that declaration of faith that closes it once and for all. The story of Thomas gives us hope. It gives us hope in the middle of our doubts. We all doubt. So I want to encourage you today if you're doubting. And I just, before we, we're going to go into a time of communion here. And Before I do, I just, I just want to ask this question. And I'll, I want you to just be brutally honest. Because I'm going to be brutally honest. I'm going to put my Bible down so I can be even more so. I can be more brutally honest. If you've ever had doubts, raise a hand. I got both of them up. That's why I put my Bible down. Because I've had my share of doubts. And around this room, you're not alone. You're not alone. But isolation increases that gap. When we go lazy into this, it creases the gap. We don't study diligently. We don't pray. We, we don't go on a path of self discovery. We stop hanging out with those who have a, a, a similar faith. We, we isolate. We, we walk away. We, that's what increases. But that gap can be closed not just shrunk, not just narrowed. It can be closed with a declaration of, My Lord and my God. It's not based on sight. It's based on faith. But you have to taste and see that God is good. So this morning, I wonder if you'd make that declaration with me. And I'm just going to do this real simple. We're going to do this on the count of two, not on the count of three, because we're not going to wait that long. So on the count of two, just say, my Lord and my God. But here's, before you do it, Consider what the implications are. The implications are life. The implications are hope. The implications are peace. The implications are less doubt. No doubt. Less doubt. How about that? But we'll know how to close that gap by a similar declaration. I cannot tell you how many times over the years, I have declared my Lord and my God. And it closes the gap of doubt and it increases my faith. So on the count of two, say it with me. One, two, my Lord and my God. Father, thank you for a simple declaration, but I pray that it's more than just simple, but it truly is profound. And that it's from hearts of integrity, because we all doubt. We've, we all confessed to that a minute ago. So Lord, I pray that that gap of faith, the gap of current faith would close to complete faith, perfect faith. As we make this declaration today, but in the days sorry. We thank you. Dispel the doubts. Don't let us ever be identified as one who doubts, but Rather, let us be identified as a person of faith. Help us, Lord, from day to day to day to taste and see that you are good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.